So yeah, we're, we're keeping going in this series we started last week on rest. Um, so it's called Revolutionary Resting. And last week we talked about um, this idea that rest is actually a really key theme in, in Scripture and really close to God's heart. And he actually, he rested after creating. He gives this day of rest um, that pointed towards Jesus coming to bring us to rest in him. And Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest. Um, and that actually, though, that's kind of revolutionary, particularly sort of in our day and age. Like, there's not much rest. We tend to not stop. Uh, we tend to just work a lot. Or if we're not working or achieving, we're kind of often distracted or just kind of consuming. But actually, God wants us to be people at rest who, and who are trusting in Him, who rely on Him, who are at peace in Him. Um, hey, Will, do you know how to get it up the back? It's just not at the back at the moment. Um, so what we said to the main point from last week is that our God is not a slave driver or perfectionistic, never satisfied parent. So he's not sort of just more demanding and working us to the bone. He is actually a compassionate and gracious father who gives the gift of rest to a weary people and weary world. Sometimes we might think of God as just demanding or like a slave driver, but he's not. He rescued his people from slavery. He brings them out to a place with a promised rest. And he actually wants to us to enter his rest. He's compassionate, he's gracious, he's kind. So this was where we went last week that was called the gift of rest. Where we're sort of going this week is this idea that maybe we might see, sometimes see God as this demanding or perfectionistic or slave driver. We say, no, that's not right. He's a compassionate and gracious father. But the other problem is <laughs> we might go too far the other way and we sort of just see God as this really soft, like cuddly teddy bear. And it's just that, oh, we just need some rest. We just need to have a nap and everything will be better. And God is just there whenever we need him and he'll just give us whatever we want and he'll just meet us wherever we're at and he'll just provide anything we need. And, it's, and it, he's just like a teddy bear. He doesn't really do anything except for what we want him to do. And, and again, that's really not <laughs> a biblical understanding of God. It goes too far the other way. Yes, he's a father who's compassionate and gracious, but he's not this sort of soft, cuddly teddy bear who, who's just powerless. He's actually a king. He's actually called the lion of the tribe of Judah. And as we just heard in that Psalm, Psalm 95, he's the creator. He's the one who made everything. He made everything in the sea. He made everything in the land and the skies. He, he is powerful and he calls us to come and to bow down and worship him and yes he is good and he's compassionate and he's gracious and he leading he wants us to have rest in him but it's not that we just come to him and we just need a nap and a teddy bear it's that that we're actually life we know life is harder than that it's actually way more difficult than oh we just need a little bit of comfort and be better actually we're all in a battle all the time like, we, we, we sort of sometimes might think, well, yes, there's war in the world, but it's far away. But the truth is, all of us today are in a battle all the time. And, and, it, and it may not be in our sort of society necessarily, but it's in our hearts, in our spirit. There's a spiritual battle. And there's, there's a war. And we fight other personal battles. Everyone's fighting battles all the time. We're not, actually, life is hard. There's actually things that are difficult. And just a little teddy bear is not going to cut it. <laughs> we need more than that. Because they're actually in a war. There's a battle going on. And we have a God who's a king, who's compassionate and gracious and leads us to rest in him, to a place of rest, to delivering us, to fighting for us. But it's not that we just sort of go to him whenever we need, but actually he's leading us. And it's more like we're on a, a journey 
And it's a, it's a journey, we sort of talked about this earlier in the year, this idea of a mountain guide on a treacherous journey. And, and actually what's re- needed is to trust the mountain guide, to trust the king that he knows the way, he knows what's best. And actually there's a need to rely on him and follow him, even through things that might be dangerous and difficult and hard, but that's the way to the, the, the safety, that's the way to the rest, that's the way to the promise that he's, he's got. There's actually a need to trust and follow him and rely on him. So the, he, he's this king who has rest, and Jesus again says, come to me and I'll give you rest, but there's a need to believe him. There's a need to receive this gift of rest. There's a need to trust him and follow him and rely on him. And actually, there's a battle that's all around that. It's not as easy as just, as just picking up a teddy bear and having a nap. It's actually he's a king, and actually we need to trust him. And there's a battle that's going on that actually can make it difficult to trust him. When we talk about this, we're not just saying, yep, yep, good, I trust God, I believe in Jesus. Like it's not just an intellectual, that that's my religion or that's my belief, but it's actually he, he's true and he's real and he's alive. And there's a need to rely upon him and trust and follow him. But we see that this is a battle. And we see this throughout Scripture multiple times. It's interesting that we talked a bit last week about God's people, Israel, who their, their story is that God gives them the promise that he's going to work in and through them for the sake of the world, but then they go into slavery and they become slaves under Pharaoh, who, who is a slave driver. He's this oppressive, evil ruler. And God, Yahweh, comes and wants to rescue his people. So he comes and does these amazing, powerful miracles in Exodus. Shows how he's the true God. And eventually, the, the, the Israelites are let go, they go, and then there's this powerful miracle. They go through the Red Sea, and the sea's part. It looks like they're going to be taken over by the army, but God works powerfully, and they're delivered, and Pharaoh's army is destroyed. And this God is the powerful God who's doing all these amazing things. But then, like, just, just after that, just after they've seen God do all these amazing, powerful things, he's shown that he's trustworthy, he's faithful, they get thirsty. <laughs> they don't have any water. And they start saying, what are we going to do? Where's the water? We've got nothing to drink. We should go back to Egypt where we just were because there's water there. And they've just seen God do all this stuff. But straight away they start to think, well, we can't really trust him. We can't really rely upon him. He's not going to look after us. We should just go back to how it was before. And this happens again and again and again. So much so that God, again, is, is leading them. And there's a promise, and the promise to them is to have this land called the promised land. And it's linked to this idea of rest, that God is actually going to give them a land where they can live, where they can have rest from their enemies. There'll be provision um, of food. They can have families and children. And there's this, this promised land. And God is leading them. And he's calling them to trust him and follow him. But they get to the border of the promised land. And there's some spies that get sent in and they're sort of scoping it out. And, and two of them come back and say, yes, we can do this. God's with us. Let's go forward. We can trust him. But ten of them come back and say, no, nah, it's too hard. The enemy's too big. It's too scary. We're going we're gonna to die. And the people believe the ones who doubt. And they say this in Numbers 14. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us out to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Like, this is crazy. Like, they've, they've seen God do these powerful things. 
Then he, even when they complained about the water, God provided for them water. And they complained about food and God provided for them food. He's this forgiving, compassionate, gracious God that he just forgives them again and again. And they come to the land and they're about to enter this promise of rest. But they say, no, we're not going to do it. <laughs> it's better in Egypt. And they, and they actually decide they want to pick someone to take them back. And this basically hits a limit for these people. They've tested God so many times. God has provided for them so many times, and they just are showing that they're not willing to believe him and trust him. And, and Moses prays for them and asks for God to forgive them, and, and God says, yes, I'll forgive them. He says, I've forgiven them as you've asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live, as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, this is God speaking, not one of those who saw my glory in the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on earth to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. This generation that saw God's powerful works, he delivered them from, from Egypt. He's provided for them again and again, but they just show that they don't believe him. They don't want to trust him. And eventually God says, well, you're not going to enter the rest. And, and they miss out. This, this generation that saw God's works, they didn't enter the promised rest because of unbelief. And then this is as the story goes, like God, God sends them back into the wilderness and that whole generation spends 40 years in the wilderness and God still provides for them, but eventually they die and their next generation actually enter the promised land. But he says, because you would not trust, you would not receive. They, they were unwilling to follow the king and the God and God eventually said, well, okay, you don't, don't follow me, then you go to the wilderness. And, and this is crazy because it shows that actually, like we might sometimes think, well, if we just saw a really powerful miracle, we'd really believe God. And, and maybe that's true, but this also shows it's possible to see really, really powerful miracles and still not believe God. Like they saw the, some of the biggest miracles in Scripture and they didn't trust him. They didn't believe him. But in the same way, we might find ourselves at, at points in life, where we are at a threshold almost, we're at a point where they're at the point, the promise is there, and there's a need to have faith and step in and trust God. But there's also a battle, and the battle is to trust and not to move back and end up in wilderness. This is how one guy, F.B. Mayer, says that everyone comes in the Christian life once at least to Kadesh Barnea. That's where they were on the edge of the promised land. On the one hand, the land of rest and victory. On the other, the desert wastes. The balance quivering between the two is turned this way by faith, that by unbelief. Trust God and rest. Mistrust him and the door closes on rest to open wanderings, failure and defeat. That, that might be, like he says, once in life, maybe that's to actually just trust Jesus and come to believe him. Uh, maybe it's other times when God is calling us in a certain direction. There's this promise there's a need to actually trust and step out, whereas if we, we, we hang back, we miss out. So this generation saw God's works, but they didn't enter because of unbelief. The interesting thing then, then like we said, that there's another generation that comes, they enter the promised land, um, they, they, God, God gives them victory, and then they, they grow and they develop, there's kings, um, they build a temple, and there's these people who are in the promised land now. But it's interesting that, that that was the promise for rest. But it's interesting that there's, there's further rest that's promised. 
that that's almost a sign. Like we said last week, even that the gift of the Sabbath is this day of rest, but it's also a sign pointing to a greater rest. And in the same way, the land was a place of rest, but it was a sign pointing to a greater rest because um, there's still this talk about entering rest in, in the psalm, but they're already in the land. So it's like, well, how does that work? We're already here, but you're talking about entering rest. And it's because there's this greater promise of rest. And it's interesting, that's that Psalm 95 that, that um, Julia just read out before. is this call to come and worship this God, this King, this Creator. And it might have been in a context similar to this. It's like a worship service, that there's musicians and they're calling people to come and worship. They're saying, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let's give, us, get him, give him thanks. He's the great king above all gods. He's made everything. Like It's this strong call to worship God and even come let us bow down before him. When they would worship, they would worship with their bodies. Like The, the, the words around worship are a lot around actual physical postures, of actually bowing or lying down before God because he is our God. We are people of his pasture. So imagine like a worship leader who's leading people saying, let's worship, let's follow this God. But then it... it it flips, and the worship leader is still speaking, but actually God is speaking directly now through them to, to the people. Imagine it's like we have worship leaders here, like Shane's leading us this morning, like he's leading us in worship, but then all of a sudden there's a message from God that's like actually God's voice speaking direct. That's what happens in this psalm. The psalmist says, today, if only you would hear his voice, and then God speaks to these people in the promised land. And God says, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did at Manasseh in the wilderness. That's where they complained about the water. Where your ancestors tested me, they tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my way, so I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. This is a generation in the promised land, in like some worship setting and God speaks because there's a still a battle going on and God speaks and reminds them of the generation that didn't believe and he says don't be like them don't harden your heart like them don't test me like them because they missed out on the promised rest and and there's this promise of future rest so he's saying don't be like them and miss out on the future the, the greater rest that's available. This is this, this call to worship and then an encouragement to not slink, slink back from trusting this God who is king. So see, these generations in the promised land are warned. They're warned not to miss out on God's rest because of unbelief. That he, that he has this promise for them. There's this gift, but there's a need to not harden your heart, but actually trust and believe and follow him. And again, that's true for us today. That we have a, a gift that's offered to us. Maybe even today there's a call to worship God. And there's, there's in a sense, a, a warning as well to say, don't harden our hearts against him, but trust, but believe him and follow him. Tom Wright says it this way, in the same way, says the psalmist, you are now facing a choice. Either worship and serve this same God or run the risk of missing out on the rest which is promised to you in turn. And the same, same way, there's an offer of a promise, but it requires faith to believe it. That actually God gives us great promises, but there's faith that's required to believe it. They were warned, and, and there's these warnings in Scripture for us 
as well. So it's interesting that, that, that there's this story in Exodus of this generation that misses out because of unbelief. And then there's these people in the promised land who are reminded of that story and say, don't be like them. To, to believe God and continue to trust Him and enter His rest. This is Psalm 95. And it's really interesting because we come then in the New Testament that Jesus comes, and like we said last week, He, he gives this promise of rest that He provides. But then as a generation of Jesus followers, followers of Jesus, that, that are written to in this letter called Hebrews. And in the letter to the Hebrews, there's people who have believed Jesus and have decided to follow Him but things are starting to get really hard. It's starting to become more difficult to follow Jesus. It's starting to cost more. Maybe they're going to actually lose things eventually, maybe even lose their lives or family eventually. And that there's this temptation to say, this is a bit hard. Let's go back to where it was before. Let's go back to Egypt where things were easier. And there's the same temptation even for people who are following Jesus. And it's interesting because this passage in Hebrews, it's in chapter 3 and 4, the, the, the author basically does a sermon on Psalm 95, which is this passage that is about reminding people not to be like this Exodus generation. So there's this link of all these events of people having to face this battle of faith and rest. And he speaks now to followers of Jesus. He says, he quotes that psalm we just read, and then he says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firm to the end. He's speaking to these people who are starting to say, like the, the Exodus generation, they're starting to say, like, maybe we should not follow Jesus anymore, like maybe we should just turn it down, like maybe we should go back to just following what we did before. And, and, and this author is saying to them, no, like don't turn away from the living God. Like, like today, like he, and he quotes this psalm again. He says, as it's been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. He speaks to them and says, don't be like that generation that missed out. Trust him today. Believe him today. Don't harden your hearts against him. He keeps going in chapter 4. He says, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands. So again, this rest pointed to a bigger rest that's available in Jesus. Let us be careful that none of you should be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. That, that, that generation had good news proclaimed to them, that God is delivering, that he's bringing the promised land, but they didn't believe it, and then they didn't receive it. And he's saying, don't be like them. Just because we've heard the news doesn't mean we're entered, we're entering, or we're entered. There's actually a need to believe him. There's actually a need to trust him. There's actually a need to receive it, not just hear it. He says, for if Joshua had given them rest, this is in verse 9 of chapter 4, God would not have spoken about another day. So he's saying, this, he's, he's, he's explaining this Psalm 95 and saying, well, the psalmist is talking about rest, but they're already in the promised land. So it must be that there's a greater rest. He says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did 
from him, this idea of entering God's rest, the rest that he had at creation, that is found in Jesus, that starts now in Jesus, but then also points to God restoring the whole world and coming again and just making everything new, and this, this picture of perfect rest, that actually that, that there's a promise of that. So he says, therefore, let us make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. So he says, there's a need to focus on the promise and believe and trust and follow to this, these people that are starting to think, nah, let's just go back. He says, no, you're turning away from God. You'll miss the promise. Don't do that. Trust, persevere, hold fast, make every effort to hold on to him, place confidence in him. So you see, this generation of Jesus, they are in danger of missing out on God's rest because of unbelief. There's this warning. And again, this is not just to make them afraid or something. It's, it's to encourage them to actually trust and follow this God, but a warning that, that to look at that generation, what happened to them, and not be like them, but trust and follow Him. So you see, there's a battle going on. That, that this Exodus generation, they saw God's works, but they didn't enter the rest because of unbelief. And then even after entering the rest in the promised land, there's still a battle going on. And it's, and it's a warning not to miss out on further rest because of unbelief. And then even after Jesus comes, there's still a battle going on. And there's these people are in danger of missing God's rest because of unbelief. And the point really today is that, that actually the primary battle of our lives is the battle to trust God, to believe and trust God and enter his rest and not miss out because of unbelief. Actually, this battle is all through Scripture. And it's actually the core battle, the battle of faith, to believe God, to trust Him, to rely upon Him, to love Him, to follow Him. No matter what we see, no matter what happens, no matter what's going on around, to, to believe and trust Him. That is a real battle. It's a core battle that all of us face all the time. But the interesting thing is that we often don't, Think of that as the core battle. We, we often make secondary battles the primary battle. And we're all fighting battles. But, but often the, the, the core battles that we think are the core battles are actually secondary battles. Um, Larry Crabb has a great book called Connecting. And in, in it he talks about um, going in the ambulance because he had a kidney stone. And they didn't know it was a kidney stone at first. They just, he just had some pain. And he's in the ambulance and the ambulance is giving him all these... Um, like questions, and then he goes to the doctor, and they're asking all these questions, all this treatment. Like this, it's intense. They're trying to figure out what's wrong with him because there's a battle for his life. Like it's really intense and important. And then he reflects on that and says, like, "Well, there's this huge battle around around health, but who's asking me those questions about my relationship with God? Like, like what about the battle of trusting God? Like that's way more important than the battle of health. But often we kind of put those sort of battles in primary focus." And those sort of battles we will go to surgery and hospitals and appointments because it's so important. But actually, but what about the battle to trust and follow God? What sort of attention and focus and, and, and openness do we put on that? So we often make secondary battles primary, whether it's health, whether it's maybe um, other personal problems, maybe it's financial problems, maybe it's relational problems or family, maybe it's just work or jobs to do. Often in life we sort of think, they're the things that maybe take our attention and our time. Like if we can just fix 
this issue, if I can just deal with this maybe emotional problem that I have, maybe if I can just fix this relationship, then things will be better. But, but they're secondary battles. Larry Crabb says this, we have elevated psychological, so maybe like mental issues as well, and personal problems to a position of top priority. And in so doing, have relegated the battle to relate well with God to secondary status. Important in its own right, and sometimes useful in the fight against our personal struggles, but certainly not our most vital and immediately pressing concern. He's saying that we tend to focus on the secondary things, and we tend to include God in them, in that we want God to help us with the relationship problem, and we want God to help us with the financial problem, and we want God to help us with our health. And that's not wrong at all. Like, that is good. But often that's the focus. Rather than how do I trust God no matter where my health is at? How do I trust God even if this relationship goes bad? How do I trust God even when I don't know what the future is going to look like? That's the actual focus. That's the core question. That's the core battle. That's often not put in the first place. He says this, the core battle in everyone's life is to relate well to God, to worship Him, enjoy Him, experience His presence, hear His voice, trust Him in everything, always call Him good, obey every command, even the hard ones, and hope in Him when He seems to disappear. That's the battle the community of God is called to enter into each other's lives. That's the battle of faith. That's the battle to trust, to rely on Him. And it is a battle. And sometimes we talk about it like it's not. We say, oh, just trust God. Like, it's like, yeah, but that's a battle. <laughs> like, like, that's not easy. There's a real struggle that goes on that we see throughout Scripture. That is, it's, it's more than just trust God. Like, that is the answer. But to do that is a battle that requires our energy and, and, and focus and attention and support. So, so we see that but actually what we need to do is engage with that core battle. We think how much energy do we put into secondary battles? What would it look like to put that energy into the primary battle? To identify that actually the thing that really is first place is how do I trust God no matter what? How do I rely upon Him? How do I, how do I walk through the difficulty and hold on to His promise when it starts to get hard? How do I trust Him with what I don't understand and I'm not really sure about that's actually the core battle. And the interesting thing is, like we said, we put so much energy into secondary battles. When, when, when we have a health problem, especially a serious health problem, we take serious steps to deal with it. Uh, we, we go to a surgeon even and they like cut your body open. Like, like it's full on. Like pierce with a knife. Open you up to look at what's going on and really get to the get to the root of what's, what's the issue and deal with it or take it out or work out the treatment. Like, that's intense focus for, for a health problem. What would, it, what it would look like to be open to that in the primary battle? To actually be open to, to being pierced in a similar way and opened and look in and see what's going on and actually deal with it so that there can be healing and health. The author Hebrews kind of ends with that picture of this section and he talks about God's word piercing, being like a sword, a double-edged sword. He says, for the word of God, this is the message of Jesus and his words and the scriptures, is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. 
It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This is like a surgeon, right? Who like pierces and opens and exposes and sees what's really going on. And he's saying that that's what God's word is like. It will pierce. It will cut through to the heart and actually see what's really going on inside of us. And actually, that's a good thing. Because the same way, if we've got an issue, we're going to want to go to a surgeon sooner rather than later to get it dealt with, even though that's extreme. In the same way, if we have an issue in our relationship of trust and this core battle to believe God, we need it to speak to us and pierce us and change us and open us up so we can see it and deal with it and trust Him. And He's saying eventually one day it's going to happen. God knows we can't hide it from God. We can't just like coast through into the rest with Him. Like, like He knows. So better to deal with it early and be open to Him, even though maybe it hurts, but actually to, to let Him speak and, and confront and then actually bring us to a place of healing. And maybe it even feels like that today. Like, this is an intense message today. And maybe it feels like being pierced. Like, yeah, it feels like being really, like, no, I came to church to feel good. Now this is hard. Like, and, and again, like, like maybe it's, we need to think of this more like going to a doctor who needs to actually do some hard stuff because there's real battle going on. But Tom Wright, again, about this passage, he says, God's word is alive. And the purpose of the two-edged sword is always to cleanse and to heal. You go to a surgeon and they cut you. But it's the, for the purpose of healing. It's to get rid of the issue and bring you back to life and health. And maybe sometimes we go to God and we go to His Word. When we come to church and maybe it cuts us, it pierces us. But the point is to cleanse, is to heal is to actually bring us to a place of deeper trust and reliance on Him. So we're saying the core battle of our lives is this battle to believe and trust God, to enter His rest and not miss out because of unbelief. Rest in so many ways is related to faith, the ability to rest in God and trust in God, to believe Him, to follow Him. And we see Jesus faced this battle as well. Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted to not trust God, but to just do it the easy way, to take the shortcut. And Jesus fought this battle and won. He didn't give in. He didn't say, let's just go back to Egypt. He didn't say, no, this is too hard. Like he trusted his father, even all the way to the cross. And he's in the battle in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he trusted his father, went through the pain went through the cross and came out with the victory and the resurrection. Like he has shown us the way of this type of faith and has shown us that it is a battle. It's a battle to trust. But because of he's done that, we recognize that we have failed that. Like, like we fail to trust God. And that he's got this offer now of forgiveness and grace and love because of the cross. But the, the call though is to believe that, receive it, receive his forgiveness and then keep going, keep fighting the battle, keep trusting, keep relying upon him keep being honest, keep opening ourselves up to his word, that we can stay holding on to him. So I don't know where you're at today. There might be a few ways to respond to, to this. And maybe one way is that just that actually, yeah, I've just been coasting through. Like 
I've just been coming along to church. I kind of just hang around with Christians. But I don't actually know if I really believe God. And, and this is saying it doesn't, coming to church is not in the thing that matters. Like doing the Christian stuff is not the thing that matters. The thing that matters is believing Him, is actual faith, is actually trusting in Him. And maybe the word that He gives today is, is don't harden your hearts. Don't turn away from Him. If, if you're hearing His voice, if you're hearing His call, believe, trust Him. Don't, don't just sort of sink back, but hold on and believe Him. Or maybe you, you might be thinking, well, no, I believe Jesus, I trust Him, but, but actually I can just feel it's starting to get hard. It's starting to get more difficult. This battle is kind of ramping up. And maybe actually we're sort of starting to think, oh, I kind of wish we could just go back to how it used to be. Kind of wish we could just go back to the good old days. Kind of wish we could just go back to Egypt. Like, uh, like that's not good. And actually, the, maybe the word today is see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful and unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And again, that can be a slow sort of fade. And I feel challenged even on this just around language. Like you see the, the Israelites in, in the wilderness, it started with just complaining and grumbling. There's no water. What are we going to do? Where, where are we going to get stuff? And then eventually it's fully turning away from God. And actually, what is our language like? Do we have language of faith? I feel challenged by this. Or do we just have language of like complaint and grumbling? It's just so hard. What are we going to do? Don't know what this future is going to hold. Like, like, and we, just, we can talk ourselves away to, in this slow turning away rather than actually, no, let's trust God and believe Him. He's faithful and He'll do it. And let's just walk forward in confidence. And, and actually our language to be language of faith. Or maybe today you're just sort of thinking, well, yeah, I believe God, but man, this is hard. Like, this is hard. And that's kind of the point. Like, yeah, this is the core battle to trust Him, to believe Him. And the thing is that we don't put that confidence in us. To trust Him is to put all our confidence in Him. And we even put our confidence in Him to be able to put our confidence in Him, if that makes sense. There's this great verse in, in, in where Jesus is, is, is coming to heal a man whose son has these major problems. And Jesus says, all things are possible for one who believes, but this man just doesn't have much faith. So he cries out and says, I believe. Help my unbelief. And it's this great picture of just coming to God and saying, God, I believe and I'm even going to trust you and give you my unbelief. I'm just going to trust you for everything. I just put all my confidence on you. and Because that, that, that's, what, that's what faith is. It's, it's not about let's work up some kind of trust. It's actually, no, we put our confidence in God. We will believe and rest in Him even to give us faith. We ask Him to give us faith. And, and we don't put our confidence in our ability to hold on to Him. We put our confidence in His ability to hold on to us, that He's actually doing a work in us, that He's actually rescued us, that He's actually faithful, and we actually trust in Him. It's not, it's not that we trust ourselves. And maybe today, that's where you're at. Maybe like, this is really hard, and maybe the thing to do today is just come to God where you're at and say, God, I believe. Help my unbelief. God, give me faith. Help me to trust you. Help me to hold you. Help me to just, just keep walking forward with you. So you might be in one of those, those places today. Uh, maybe if the, if the band wants to sort of come back up, and we're, we're going to sing um, to finish. And I'll just invite you to stand if you're able. Um, we'll stand together and then let's pray um, together as, as we finish.
um, today. And we're saying this is the core battle. So we need to stand together in this.